0: Welcome everyone to another episode of Kiwi Talks. My guest today is an award-winning writer. He's probably best known for his tenure at Telltale. He's worked on prestigious IP like Batman, Minecraft, The Walking Dead, Game of Thrones. I'm going to stop there before we go and get a Guinness World Record for the longest introduction ever. I'd like to welcome Ryan Kaufman. How are you doing? I'm doing great. I'm really glad to be here. Um, yeah. it's yeah,
1: good to meet you and great to be here, so...
0: Thanks for taking yeah. time out. I thought I'd switch this up for you, so I don't give you like the generic opening question, like, "How did you get into the games industry?" I actually want to know. So, because you've said before that if you could make your dream game, it would be a narrative version of Titanic,
1: right? So oh, yeah, yeah. So why is that? Um, I'm fascinated by situations that um, have like a hopeless ending, but there are stories with stories within that, that have hope or that have some kind of amazing outcome, you know, that everyone who survived the Titanic to me is sort of a miraculous, um, you know, story in and of itself. And anyone who didn't is an amazingly tragic and, and also interesting story so um i've just been fascinated with titanic for a really long time but like there's something about the the contained space of like you know it's gonna happen over you know three hours or three days or however long you you want to be on that boat and you can't go anywhere else and it's sort of it's it's its own world you know it's its own microcosm of whatever kind of theme you want to explore so and you know i'm a real sucker for like Oh, the romantic times in the 1900s, you know, the early (laughs) 1900s, the Gilded Age and all that. Um, So, yeah, I think I'm really drawn to that. Um, Yeah, it's just, it's got everything you need. I mean, when I was, uh, when the movie came out, I was too old to get swept up in the, you know, oh, wow, Titanic or whatever. And I didn't watch it until maybe 10 or 15 years later. And I watched it. Yeah, and I watched it, I never even saw it. And then I watched it and I was like, this movie actually amazing. Um, it's got a crazy reputation because of all the the teenage girls that <laughs> were, were swarming it, you know, watching Leo and all that. But actually, I totally get it now. Like, there's, there's a great story there. So so yeah. when we say Titanic, are we talking about the actual event or
0: like a, a narrative version of James Cameron's Titanic?
1: No, no no, narrative version of the actual event. Like, okay, I good. just I'm acknowledging that that James Cameron really captured something about that event in terms of an exciting story. So you know, kind of like more like hats off to him. I would definitely want to do something different with it, but based on the event, not the movie. Hmm. So you're what's called a narrative
0: designer, right? So yeah. what actually comes first when you're designing a game? Is it the narrative or the design aspects? which, which comes
1: first, or is it kind well, of like a it,
0: blending of the two at the same time?
1: It really depends. I mean, in my career, I can cite examples where I came onto a game that was already, uh, they already had the gameplay. Um, you know, it's a flight game. It's like rogue squadron. We want to make a game about X wings and snow speeders flying around and shooting things. Um, and then you go, okay, great. What, what story should we put to it? And so the design comes first, you know what the design of the game is, and then you're putting the narrative on top. And, um, with the telltale games it was much more of a blurred line of thinking of you know going back and forth rapidly between what would we do in this game then who would we play what would their story be and then how would that become a playable how would the player control that story what's interesting about that being that person um and then you know throwing obstacles in their way in terms of story beats or plot elements and just sort of going going back and forth but it really depends Right, and how many,
0: like, say with the Telltale games, how many do overs of the script would you do? Because I know you're envious of what what some people call fast writers, right, where they can just write really quickly and bang, it's done. Because you do multiple iterations, don't you?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah multiple drafts. Um, yeah, and 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 at Telltale, we would sometimes maybe do too many revisions, but um, it could be quite a few. It could be quite a few, three or four, because sometimes you'll write the first draft of a scene and you'll sort of stand it up as we say and look at it and realize it's a great scene, but there's nothing for the player to do other than watch. Um, so then you kind of have to go back to the drawing board sometimes and think, okay, well, what, what's interesting from a player standpoint about being in this moment and then write a scene about that. Hmm. Cause how many, sorry, I was just gonna ask how many writers are usually in the writing room at the same time? Um, On a typical Telltale game, you'd have a writer per episode, say, who was a lead writer. And then they would maybe have two or three writers who were helping them with various scenes and taking, you know, smaller bits of the story. Um, So it could be four. And then in the room, as you were planning the whole season, you know, so for Game of Thrones, planning out the whole season, there were maybe 10 of us, maybe 12, um, sitting in the room, all pitching ideas and trying to figure out the, the big beats of the story.
0: But say with game of Thrones compared to walking dead, you had a lot more constraints by HBO, right? So you couldn't go and veer off too far. You have to keep, you have to keep within a certain box somewhat.
1: Yeah. It was more like, it was more like, yeah, it was like being in a box or, or just having sort of guardrails on either side. Um, Cause we carved out a space for ourselves that was an original family you know so we can make up whatever their deal was um but yeah we couldn't you know we were meeting Daenerys and meeting Jon Snow and all these characters that we couldn't you can't just do whatever you want with them um but in a lot of ways that reminded me of like writing for Star Wars it's the same constraints you want to you want to have Darth Vader in the game but also anytime Darth Vader's in the game you can't really do a lot (laughs) because you can't you know he yeah. he's not up for grabs in terms of hey we're gonna go on an adventure together um that's not gonna happen so
0: so weren't you the liaison for the brand at in terms of like the expanded universe at Star Wars
1: when yeah, you right. yeah, yeah for about a year at the end uh sort of the end I was there for ten years and at the the very last year I became something known as a content supervisor and that was a liaison between any of the developers who are making games, both internal to LucasArts. And then there were a few who were external partners Um, and I was the liaison between them and the ranch and the ranch was where licensing was. And so they were controlling all the, you know, the continuity and all that. So I would go between them and I would help them with anything from like, you know, is this story appropriate? on a Star Wars level to down to like how do you spell Wookie? <laughs> you know, that kind of thing. So everything and anything that was that was Star Wars related, I would try to help them out. So how much of a Star Wars fan were you before you
0: uh ended up working at LucasArts? Were you I, oh, pretty big, full on Yeah. pretty full-on nerd
1: or, yeah, or full in the mind. middle? No, 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 no. I think I was a pretty big nerd. I, I really loved it as a kid and I really got into it. And then um, in the '90s, they put out those heir to the empire, the Timothy Zahn novels, and I read those, and I was like, "These are pretty cool." Um, And I read the Han Solo novels, and so yeah, I knew I knew quite a bit about it when I got in there. And I guess
0: so. I guess that was like the perfect gig for you, somewhat. But even so, the expanded universe is massive.
1: Yeah, it's huge. It was even bigger at the time, right? Like Disney went through and and tossed a bunch of it out but um yeah being at lucas arts as a star wars fan was kind of funny because in a weird way there was a stigma against people who were too much of a fanboy they were like really yeah they were almost like calm down a little bit (laughs) (laughs) like you know um it it could be distracting if you were too much of a fanboy into it and just going around every you know touching every surface like oh my god it's it's all Star Wars, um, so you had to play it a little bit cool, um, but that also helped with, I think, bringing in a lot of people who were just bringing in great creative ideas that were outside of the Star Wars universe, you know. So we get a little fresh, fresh take on things uh, sometimes, but a lot of us were dyed-in-the-wool nerds and just had to keep it, keep it close. So, so how long did it take you to work that out? That, oh, that you need to keep it on
0: yeah. the down though a little bit.
1: Oh, that was pretty quick because uh, I got hired into the test department, and like right. the testers were already regarded as uh, you know, oh, it's the tester, what's he doing here? Like, you know, <laughs> so you had to really try to present yourself as a calm, rational person and uh, professional, you know, in order to get people over the hump of like who you were and what you did, right. Were you one of the
0: ones that got told you were going to be laid off during Republic Commando?
1: Um, No, I wasn't. No, I had a couple of friends that happened too. And ultimately, actually, those layoffs and the departure of my friends caused me to say, I think I'm done here too. And so I left. Um, But yeah, it wasn't wasn't too long after that.
0: Well, I can imagine so because the morale would have gone down, I suppose, right?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Because, you know, it was a great, I mean, Republic Commando was a great game and everyone knew it was a great game. Um, And they still had to lay off a bunch of those people and they wanted to start over. And it was like, all we ever wanted to do is make great games. And we did. And now, you know, those people are gone. And a lot of them were like personal friends of mine and people that I found inspiring to work with. And so when those people are gone, not to say there are a lot of people that stayed, that I also wanted to work with, but it's just at a certain point, there's like a, there's always a tipping point, you know? Um, And you feel like, okay, maybe my time here is done, is over too.
0: Hmm. Well, I will say there is a lot of demand and outrage, I suppose, that there was never a sequel because it ended on a cliffhanger. I posted a little clip of Kevin talking about Republic Commando and then how they got told they were gonna get laid off. I posted it on TikTok and it it got a massive amount of views primarily because people were like, what? That's why yeah. there's no sequel.
1: <laughs> Isn't it crazy? Yeah. It's crazy. And I remember setting all that stuff up too and talking with the team and be like, okay, we're going to put Sev and he's going to get lost. And, you know, <laughs> we'll oh. dangle this whole thing and then realizing like, oh, that's probably never going to get resolved.
0: So do you, ha- do you have to sit, um, basically distance yourself from your own writing so you don't get too attached to it? Particularly if it's an idea that you think is going to happen. a story that's going to happen and then for whatever reason upper management or something else within the studio causes it to be ripped out of your hands
1: yeah yeah that happens quite frequently too like you know things change you have a great idea and um it can change because they decide not to do it it can change because they don't have money to do it you know you can pitch this okay we're gonna blow up something amazing and they're like yeah that's gonna cost us a million dollars we can't do that so figure out a different way to do it but like that's game design, you know. I think coming from the game design part of it, um, game design is also really, really iterative, and you'll have ideas that you'll have in the morning and they get thrown out by the evening, and you just like learn to roll with it because you're all looking for the best version of the idea, and and your your judge is often the player. You're not allowed to say. Really, you can't make an argument like, yeah, but this game design is really awesome if all the players go, yeah, but it's no fun, you know? And then what's the point? So you do have to become pretty flexible about ideas and let things go and just trust that there's going to be a new one coming up tomorrow.
0: Hmm. What do you think the hardest part of writing is for you personally?
1: The hardest part of writing, I think, is the initial idea like looking for a spark that I can really believe in and I, that I think is going to set a big enough fire that will keep everyone warm, you know. Mm. Um, that initial spark is really hard to come by. Once the ball gets rolling, it, I'm pretty good. Like I'm, I'm good enough at the craft of writing that I can like keep things going and, and put a structure in place that works. But like, wow, coming up with that initial thing is, is tough. Can you stress yourself out over doing it?
0: Like, oh, I have to come up with this idea. Particularly if you've got writer's block. I don't, I'm not sure if you do get writer's block.
1: Oh, yeah, all the time. Writer's block is a real thing. And yes, you can stress yourself out. And like, <laughs> it makes it worse, right? Because you get very anxious about maybe nothing's going to, maybe I'll never <laughs> have another idea in my entire life, you know? Like imposter maybe. syndrome, almost. Yeah, 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 totally. Like yeah, imposter yeah. syndrome. Maybe this has all been a, a big scam up until now that I perpetrated <laughs> on the world. Yeah, you've um, been pulling the wool over people's eyes. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that can that can be very stressful. Um, but I've been lucky to work with I've been lucky to work with people who either pull me out of that or give me enough time to come up with something. So I think it's
0: quite common, though. Um, yeah. Eric Walpole, who did a lot of the Valve games like Portal Two and all that stuff. He goes through the same thing, so. um, Oh, yeah. And I know he mentioned it, so. Yeah, Mm. yeah, yeah. One thing I do find interesting is one of your favorite games of all time is Shadow of the Colossus, right? And it's not really a narrative-driven game. You've kind of got the story of the intro and the outro and that's it, but I suppose it's more environmental storytelling. So I, I find it fascinating That's that's one of your favorite games. But is that, would that partly be because by the end of the day you're just like over dialogue and words you're like you know what i i just want to play something that's got no no text or no no dialogue of any kind and so totally
1: yeah yeah there's a there's a phrase it's like busman's holiday have you ever heard that no it's like the busman's holiday is like going on it's like if you drive a bus all day and then you go on vacation on a bus you're like (laughs) you don't you don't want to do that you know um, yeah, and I think I, I have a bit of I have a bit of that in me where I'm like, if I'm writing and thinking about story all day, the kind of game I want is going to take me away from that for a while. And like Shadow of the Colossus is something that is so visually, um, so visually magnificent and evocative, you know, that I don't need to worry about like what's the story. All I I just just the immersion, you know, that's all I'm looking for.
0: Yeah, and like so, I mean I suppose is it an argument over what's more important story or gameplay?
1: I don't, know, story what the, I don't
0: know what the answer is. No. Well, you no, the answer
1: yeah. is story. I mean, it's obvious. It <laughs> should be obvious to anyone. It should be the highest paid and the most famous of all game designers the story people.
0: Story people. Yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, what's Tetris? It it could have been huge if only it had a story. Um, yeah yeah you know it, it it's the age-old thing well it like... probably depends on the game as well i suppose right
0: yeah because yeah. some games have a lot of stories some games don't sometimes some game developers prioritize story over the gameplay depending on what they're trying to i mean the, the telltale games are kind of like interactive novels that's what they are really yeah and i suppose much. story was more front and center
1: i would think in that instance. Absolutely, yeah. But, I mean, it also depends on what you mean by story. Like, story can be theme, um, and then you could really, you know, like, you get a poster of Doom behind you. Like, that theme of Doom was, like, so strong. Um, The world is very, it's much like, it's like Shadow of the Colossus. Like, it tells a story, even if there are no words to explain what's going on. Or even if there are words, it's not that important. But the fact that Doom like has an identifiable world, a tone, a feel, a kind of experience that you're looking for, um, and that there is a progression as you play it, and that's kind of part of the experience. Like to me, that all falls under the 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 idea of what story does and why we like it as humans. Um, and you know, it, some people use the word story what they really mean is like narrative or dialogue and a narrative is a much more specific part of story which is like we're going to use language to convey what's happening or we're going to use language to convey a plot or something like that Mm. um but but to me story is a way bigger um concept and there's a lot of ways you can express a story
0: yeah but if you're going to tell a story, do you think it would be harder to do the whole show, not tell sort of thing? So you're doing more environmental storytelling as opposed to via text or dialogue. So like yeah, Doom but- Doom has more environmental storytelling. More environmental. least the original. Yeah.
1: Yeah. But you can look at games, older games like Myst um, or some of the walking simulator type games. Yeah. Um, that could really convey a lot of stuff through environmental storytelling or games like um, what remains of Edith Finch, uh, which are, you know, great pieces of storytelling that are almost totally experiential. You know, Mm. there's not a ton of explanation in terms of dialogue and, and language. Yeah. They don't need it. it. Hmm. Can you play a game that's very
0: story driven and, just separate yourself from it and enjoy and enjoy it or do you end up picking it apart and being like oh i would have done this here i would have done that here why did they why did they use this dialogue or this this narrative or this text
1: yeah it's really hard it's like it's like movies are the same you know i'll be sitting in in almost every movie and and going um yeah okay i know where we are in the plot like i know we're about to hit this beat we're about to hit, you know, oh, it's the quirky best friend. Okay, I know what's going to happen here. Um, yeah, so it makes it really hard. But every once in a while, something will come along that's, like, really, really good or immersive, like, um, you know, Red Dead 2. I just got lost in it. After, you know, at some point, I just give up. I'm like, okay, I give up. I give over <laughs> to the narrative. You're just gonna, I'm going with you, whatever, wherever you're going. Um, and uh, I don't know if you've seen the Godzilla Minus One
0: no, I haven't seen
1: it yet, but um, I've heard nothing yeah. but good things. Yes, and and I think honestly, I'll I'll say I think it lives up to the hype. It's one of the movies, one of the few movies in the last like maybe five years that I really was like, I'm blown away by what they're doing. It was mm. totally unexpected and pulled off really well. What's so. your
0: yeah? What's your thought on ChatGPT then and AI and how it's being used for writing? I mean, obviously, you've had all these strikes recently in Hollywood in regards to writing, but um, what's have you mucked around with that sort of thing just to test it out? What are your thoughts on yeah. it? Yeah, the good, yeah, yeah. the bad, the ugly. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, I messed around with Chat GPT quite a bit, trying to figure out um, what it does well and if it's useful um, for writing. And uh, I've messed around with uh, visual, com- you know, versions of that, like Mid Journey and Dolly um on the visual side to see what they're good at um obviously they're evolving the thing that the thing that chat gpt cannot help me with is exactly what you asked about before which is like i need a spark and i and i need that spark to be original and personal um because if it's if it's generic then there's nothing to build on. And the problem with chat GPT as a tool for me personally, as a writer is like, it's really good at taking everything else that's been done and synthesizing it um, and spitting it back out at you. But it's like making sausage, you know, people like sausage. So there's nothing wrong with that. (laughs) I have it on my pizza, but, but like as a creative tool, it's tough to work with generally what, what I find with chat GBT is that even like, if I ask it to, I've asked it to say, okay, develop me a character who's got these personality traits and it'll give me something back. And that thing is generally unusable, not because it's like gobbledygook, like it's intelligible, but it's just, it's kind of like applesauce. It's like, okay, there's nothing really here. I mean, yeah, it's edible, but like, I don't know. So we'll see if it, I don't know what it'll take to get it to a point where it is, it has the weird personal quirks that human writers have, which makes us interested in their work. Because at that point, it'll just be basically human. <laughs> so then we're back to the original problem, which is like working with other people is tough
0: yeah and it's still in its infancy really when you consider how long it's been around so it will continue to evolve i mean i find it's good maybe for an initial template but it can't do anything specific the specificity is not there particularly when you get into the real nitty-gritty yeah which which writers need to do right you need to get down into the the detail
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's the detail and the specificity is what makes one idea better than another. Um, It's why I'm never really that shy about sharing my plots that I'm working on. Like, people are like, Oh, what, what, you know, what's your next book about? And I'll tell them what the plot is, because I'm like, anyone can come up with these dumb plots. It's really about that execution or bringing something really personal to it. That's the difference between what I write and what someone else writes. So. You know, you see that all the time in Hollywood with like different directors will have a take on a film um, and one of them really gets it. And one of them doesn't. But it's the same. It's kind of like the same story, like when they do a remake, you know. Um, so, yeah, I feel like Chat GPT, like you say, like it, it can provide a template. But what use is that template if you can't then, as the human part of it, bring something personal to it? Hmm. do you think the writing has gotten better in film personally
0: or gotten worse no i think it's gotten much worse
1: (laughs) much worse
0: yeah it's it's very rare that i watch a film now and the the narrative or the dialogue really uh impacts me um i did i watched oppenheimer and i had to have subtitles on because i was you know because of quantum mechanics and i didn't know what the heck it was you know so that was probably but the one that's probably most impactful just because it was talking about something that i know very little about but i'm sure i mean do you watch
1: films with subtitles on or no oh totally i watch subtitles all the time yeah, 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 yeah. I, I, like, I i have that weird thing where i'm like i can hear fine but for some reason i cannot hear what <laughs> words people are saying in movies i don't know what it is so yeah i'm always like am watching with the subtitles on mm. Do you
0: have um, one story that you've written for a game? One narrative that you're like, this This is my, my masterpiece. This is the best <laughs> work I've done. Or are you always looking at it and critiquing it?
1: Oh, God. Yeah, no, absolutely. I'm nowhere near a masterpiece when it comes to that. Yeah, no. <laughs> There's a, all my games. I'm like, oh, gosh, I wish I could have done better with that one.
0: Well, what's that, what's that saying? Um, you never finish a project. You abandon it. Right. Yeah. Somebody in the suits comes along and is like, you're done here. And yep. Takes it away. Yep.
1: And to move on to the next thing. Yeah, yep. yeah. Yeah. And you just look back and go. What was I <laughs> thinking? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh,
0: I heard this. I don't know if it's true, so I want you to confirm. Is it is it true that you made a pitch to the owners of or well, the rights owners of the James Bond IP to do a James Bond narrative? where James Bond was an African-American or a female?
1: No, no, no. I never, okay, no, I never made that pitch. And uh, I wanted to, at Telltale, at one point, the Bond people were like, hey, pitch us a game idea. Um, But my idea was not an African-American, but like a Pakistani or somebody from the empire who maybe or maybe indian or whatever who like represented that part of the empire but also i thought it would be interesting to say like oh like as a person of color in the empire and as a former colony all that stuff would come up right so what kind of bond would that be and i thought they'll never go for it ever that's way too far out there for for a bond i think it might even just violate the fantasy altogether but like that was the one idea that I would have wanted to explore with a bond game. I have
0: no idea what the response would have been to that. It probably would have, no. it probably wouldn't been controversial to be honest,
1: yeah, it <laughs> made have, it might have been too controversial to like support a bond game. like it would have overwhelmed whatever bond story we were trying to tell. So I never pitched that one for that i that reason because I was like. They'll never go for it. And even if they did go for it, it might just be too, too crazy.
0: So it was merely just an idea in the back of your mind. Did you actually write anything down?
1: It was an idea. Or were you writing
0: it and and then you're like, no, 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 I'm not doing this.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it was was like one of those ideas where I was walking around telling everybody about it, but I had no intention of actually pitching it like i wanted the credit for you know (laughs) having a crazy idea but i didn't i knew no one would do it so yeah it was one of those yeah there's been a lot of those where you just walk around telling someone oh i got my crazy idea about this game and then (laughs) we'll never make it are people of support are, are people supportive of that idea
0: when you when you tell them these things or are they like what are you thinking
1: yeah, <laughs> uh, I think it was a mixture of both. It was like, "That's great, Ryan. What are you thinking?" <laughs> yeah, it was. It was definitely a look of confusion a lot of times. Like, "What? That's a that's a, okay."
0: <laughs> what What was your favorite game to work on at Telltale?
1: Um, favorite game to work on.
0: Come on, there must be one
1: surely i oh, know they were all they were all really or, fun they were, or they all they your were, babies sort of thing you all love them equally i um now some of them but, <laughs> but um you don't tell your children that it's, it breaks their hearts of course no but what 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 you're making me think of right now is is more like what was the experience of working on them like and that was generally uh I mean, it was hard, but I often work with people who I really liked and we had fun making it, even if it was a really tough game or didn't come out the way we wanted. Even so, I have memories of like, you know, fun moments in the room and coming up with stuff that was really cool. Um, And, um, you know, even just going out to lunch and commiserating about like, this game is breaking my back, you know. Um, So, yeah, it's hard to parse out. Which one was my favorite? I think in terms of the final product, I like to replay Wolf Among Us, which I I can't say about a lot of the other games, like either because the subject matter didn't interest me or because like one playthrough was kind of like my headcanon, but I'm always drawn to like, I want to like play Wolf a little bit again, or at least look at it. I just, I think it's a beautiful game to look at
0: i had to commend you guys at telltale because it felt like those games were like a television set you're just banging them out right it's just like a cog in the machine you're just going going did you ever get to stop or was it was it like a machine that just kept going and i imagine the hours yeah.
1: were crazy yeah the hours were crazy it was a treadmill um to just keep cranking things out and that really was tough on a lot of people um and uh, there was a lot of burnout, but yeah, but the way that the way that those games were constructed was quite brilliant, you know, and that in that you could make a lot of them and repeat them over and over, and um, reusing techniques and reusing animations really helped us do that. And keeping the ambition low too in terms of the gameplay, it was always frustrating to me as a designer that we weren't able to really branch off and you know let's let's make an open world game that was never going to happen but it also kept us on the you know on the um not on the treadmill but on the ability to like keep making new stuff like if we wanted to make a batman game we could add that to list you know and just keep rolling with it Mm. did you direct all the voice actors as well no yeah that was a shared responsibility among a lot of people um i was lucky to be in a couple of sessions and I really love doing that. But um, it really depended on who was working on what and who had the time that day because those voice sessions could be over several weeks and multiple sessions and maybe someone would direct one and then you come in and, and direct the next one and then so on and so on. I actually think that's a good way of doing it so it doesn't get too monotonous
0: standing in one room you know, with a voice actor and just directing them on how to say yeah. lines.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And it, and it takes time out of your creative day. So uh, a typical voice session would be like four hours. So you go to the studio um, and then you're, you're kind of locked into that, uh, you know, a dark room for four hours and you really can't communicate with the outside too much. Um, And so by the time you came back to the office, a whole bunch of maybe other things had piled up on your desk. And you had to find time to do that, so it could be really time-consuming. Um, and then, yeah, you you just couldn't you couldn't do a lot else if you were voice directing a session. Was
0: there ever a what's take?
1: That? Sorry, what's that? You keep going.
0: I was going to ask. Um, was there ever a take that just took so long to do? Just the repeating of one line
1: over and over and over again. <laughs> <laughs> we try not to do that. We we had. Um, I was gonna say, actually, we had great partners in this company called Bay Area Sound Design. Um, and those guys, Julian Kwasniewski and Jared Emerson Johnson um, and Jory Prom, like they were, they were like outside Telltale, but they were basically a Telltale team. They knew us really well. And they would do a lot of the voice directing too, either when we couldn't, or um, they would take over, say maybe a line wasn't going well, like in your example they would often have great ideas for how to change it up or like, hey, let me direct it a different way or something that would get the result. Um But some of the worst sessions were like, we had a couple where we had cast an actor and we were having a session with them. And then we realized like, this is not the right person. I mean, you'd be three hours into it. And you're like, maybe he just needs to warm up or maybe she doesn't get it. And you're like an hour three or four and you're all looking at each other and they can sense it too. It's t- it's a terrible moment when you're like, "This is not working. We need a recast." And you've you've plugged in four hours of time, and yeah, that ha- that didn't happen too often, but it happened enough, and it's it's always traumatic when it does. It Sounds awkward as well because you have to be to the actor. So sorry,
0: three hours. Yep. but you yeah, know, you're miscast. Sorry.
1: Yeah, have a good one. Yeah. I know, <laughs> and you know they they'd be excited because they wanted to you know they were going to be in the game and then we have to kind of come back to them later and go oh it just didn't work you know i'm sorry but most of them were professional VO actors so that's part of the biz and they get it and the more professional they are about handling that situation the more likely they might get called back next time you know for something else so um yeah but yes very awkward nobody likes that but yeah
0: what do you think is your biggest strength and weakness as a writer? Out of curiosity.
1: Strength and weakness. Um. This is know. like a job interview. I, I know. I know. I'm interviewing for a job. After right I now. asked it, I
0: was like, oh, this 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 is like a job interview.
1: I'm just curious. I thought I already had, I thought I already had the job. Um, <laughs> I know. Um yeah, I don't know. I mean, I guess um, my strength, it would be, I, um, I'm i good at, at figuring out what the emotional core of a scene or a story is, especially if, you know, someone's already kind of developed it. I'm a good editor when I can come in and say, you know, let's get to the emotional part of this or tell me what the story is really about. I just um, posted this thing on LinkedIn that was like a YouTube breakdown of Jurassic Park, the original Jurassic Park, Um, by this guy named Mike Hill and he did a brilliant examination of like the story beneath the story, Mm. you know, basically saying, you, you think this story is about dinosaurs? It's not, it's actually about a family and how to form a family. And, and, and he goes through and he highlights where those emotional beats are happening, um, and how we respond as, as people to that way more than we do about like dinosaur DNA or action beats or whatever, um, Mm -hmm. So that's the kind of thing I'm drawn to, but like my weakness would, would definitely be just, I struggle, uh, honestly, I struggle with dialogue, you know, dialogue is something I'm constantly second guessing. I'm like, does this sound real? Would people really say this? Why are they saying this? You know, so I can get really in my head about just straight up dialogue. Um, Yeah. Which is, which is ironic because I've written so much dialogue, but maybe that's the, maybe that's the reason I hate it so much. Would you sound out? So would you write it and then try and say it as a way to see if it sounds like something someone would say? Yeah, but like, also I'll second guess myself because I'm a terrible actor. So even if I had a good line, I'm like, this might be a good line that I'm just saying like an idiot, you know, because I'm a terrible actor, like, but it could be a good line.
0: But if you second guess yourself, I mean, I'm trying to put myself in your shoes here. I might get someone else to say the line to see if if it is reflected
1: well. Sure. You yeah. You know, we give it to somebody else to read too. Yeah. Just yeah. to say like, Am I crazy is this, does this make any sense at all? Um, so yeah, I, I absolutely need proofreaders and editors and feedback and uh, people to tell me if I'm, I'm smoking crack. <laughs> Do you read the dictionary a lot
0: or the thesaurus or something just to try and get new words somewhere in the back of your, mind that you can use
1: I did actually when um when I began to write the the novel because writing a novel and writing in that way is so different than just writing kind of game dialogue you know we don't use that many words when we speak so our available uh uh language is pretty small when we're speaking to each other but like when you write in a novel you're trying to evoke things that need more specific words more Um, can be, you know, evocative words, poetic words, whatever. So I actually like went out and bought like a thick thesaurus just so I would flip through it and see other words and kind of put those in my brain as I was going through it. But that was, that was new. That was a a muscle I hadn't flexed in a really long time. Just writing, writing game dialogue is totally different than writing novel.
0: Oh, it would be right. And you've mentioned... In an article you wrote, about, oh, it might have been an article, or was it a tweet maybe, where you're talking about this this trick that you do in regards to the whole third person and first person thing, right? So if something isn't working in third person, you write it in first person to try and get a different view of what you're writing and what you're trying to convey.
1: And I works. wrote that? I wrote that? Did I? <laughs> that, yeah, that sounds you wrote... really smart. That sounds really smart. I should try that. I completely forgot I wrote that. Yeah, you wrote it somewhere. Uh I'll find the quote. I believe I was, you. Because I was like, oh, that's brilliant. <laughs> that's part of my problem is I, I I will come up with techniques like that. And, and then you forget your own techniques. Totally forget. Yeah, what I was doing. Yeah. The worst. That's hilarious.
0: Well, I'll have to I'll have to find the quote and send it back to you. Cause I read it and I was like, oh, that's yeah. that's actually very, very smart. so I was going to ask about
1: how'd you come up with the technique, but you probably don't even remember. I don't, I could make something up for you though, right now, just for the podcast and just say, yeah, it was, uh, yes, it was taught to me by Ernest Hemingway. We were in Paris. (laughs) Um, yeah. I, um, I mean, I, I, now that I'm thinking about it, I have done that, especially in the novel, like, um, if I'm unsatisfied with the passage, I'll flip it and write it in first person and think, okay, is that better? Is it more immediate? Um, Is that what was missing? You know, is I too detached? Is third person too detached Um, to try and get closer? And there are parts in the novel that switch to first person because I was like, it just works better that way. But um, yeah, God, maybe that's what I was talking about. Uh, That's definitely what I was talking about. Yeah, yeah, Yeah. we'll go with that. We'll go with that. That's it, yeah. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Uh, I've seen in one of your articles that you use a whiteboard right is that just for the initial idea to try and work out how the story beats are going to go is that what it's primarily used for
1: yeah yeah you know i'm super visual when it comes to stuff like that like when it comes to structure um so i need like post-its and and note cards and that kind of thing that i can like grab and move around and reorder and then step back and look and, and look at the whole structure um we really started doing that at telltale and and it was massively helpful and it's something i still do um to work out beats of a story you know like what happens here and what does the first act look like and do we have an action beat do we have an emotional beat do we have this kind of thing and we would use different colored cards to represent different moments like an action beat would be in blue an emotional beat would be in green there'd be a choice moment maybe that's pink and so once you lay those all out, you can literally step back, you know, 10 feet. You can't read the words anymore. But now you can just look at, you can almost look at the pacing and go, okay, wow, we have a lot of talking in the first act. Like I see a lot of dialogue scenes there. I don't know what they're about, but I can just see there's a lot of dialogue and maybe we need to move to actually beat in there. Um, and it's interesting because I, I once went on a tour of Pixar and in Pixar in the lobby, they have... Uh, color, kind of color storyboards, mood boards of the entire film. So they'll lay out like Wally in these really small little uh, storyboards that, that have color. And what you end up seeing is the color of the movie shifts over time and it corresponds to the story beats that they're trying to get at, you know? So if it's an action scene or something, you'll see it like shifting into like hotter colors. Maybe it's red and then you'll see it like cooling down and going back to sort of maybe they're more blues and greens um and not that we're doing the same thing but it was a way those little note cards and using a whiteboard and that was like a way for me to look almost with unfocused eyes at like the musicality of the story like is it rising and falling the way i want it to um and do i have all the do i have all like my markers in the right places does that make sense yeah it does make sense Though I'm wondering if it would
0: work on in every instance, because Wall-E's kind of an anomaly, isn't it? It's not really a story-driven film. It's very environmental. Like there's hardly any dialogue really in it. Yeah. yeah. So, I'm wondering. It. I'm wondering if it just worked for that project, or if that's a template that they
1: use. In, yeah, I'm not in all the films. I'm not hundred percent sure how they use that. But they had a couple of different examples and I can't recall the exact films, but there was more than one. And and I was just really struck by just the fact that they would have paid that much attention to it, which of course they're Pixar, they're professionals. Um, But I was like, this is really interesting to reveal that there's a structure to the movie, a color structure to the movie that relates to the pacing somehow. And I hadn't even noticed, you know, it's not something you could see if you watched it.
0: Yeah. Were there any, any games or IP that you wanted to work with at Telltale that you didn't get to? Obviously James Bond being one, I guess. Yeah. 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 <laughs>
1: yeah. <laughs> um, and Titanic being the other one. Titanic. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I loved um, the Hellboy Um license. I don't know. I know you're a fan. fan Yeah, Yeah. I'm a big fan of Hellboy. And I always wanted to do something and I thought Telltale would have been a great place to do a Hellboy game. Um, But that that never happened. I don't think the license was quite big enough. But uh, I would have loved to do something like that.
0: How much does it cost in terms of budget if you have to change narrative after everything's already been implemented, right? Let's say everything gets approved and then you do a rough cut of a cutscene with dialogue or an interactive cutscene, I should say. And you guys are all looking at it and you're like, yeah, this isn't working. We need to change something here. And, you know, the voices have already been recorded. Everything's kind of already there or a rough yeah. cut. And then you take it out. I mean, that must push back things quite a bit. It's not as simple as just changing a gameplay mechanic, right? Because the narrative, everything's already there.
1: Yeah. It can be expensive, but it can also be weirdly cheap if, depending on what happens. So maybe there's two circumstances on either end. So the first one is like a page one rewrite where you go, the scene's bad, it's not working. We actually don't even want these characters to be in this place anymore. We're gonna move them somewhere else and it might even be a different cast of people in this scene for whatever reason. So you're basically just hitting the, the big plunger and everything blows up. And it's like you say, you're starting completely from scratch. Um, That's expensive. What's less expensive as you move toward the other end is like, it could be the same people in the same room with the same clothes and the same lighting. And maybe there's been some of the same animations. Say they're talking, they're sitting at a table talking and all you're doing is changing what they're saying. And like, yeah, you have to pay for the new writing and new VO. But you don't have to pay to have new characters modeled. You don't have to pay for new animations. You don't have to pay for new uh, set because that one still works. So like it really depends. And, And sometimes I think the problem with Telltale was that people did see that rewrites were somewhat cheap because it's like, oh, just rewrite it, but put it in the same room, you know, or maybe there's some dialogue you can, you can redo. And that seemed, I think cheap enough to, to pull the trigger on but like of course it's still time it's still effort and it's creatively um it can be creatively uh harmful you know to people to just have their work rewritten over and over even if they're the ones doing it they just might be like i cannot write another version of this scene i can't do it Mm. but what about the lip syncing as well lip syncing was sometimes automatically done and so that might Uh... even yeah, like like there were uh, f- the features that would scan the phonemes in the VO file and then basically translate those to phonemes that, like lip flap. So it wasn't always a, you know, you didn't have to like go in there and do the lip sync yourself.
0: So I wonder if that happens during localization as well with, um, let's say, a Japanese game. Right. And then it goes to the West for dialogue there. If they apply that, I don't know. Or if they just yeah, keep I it. as
1: Yeah, sometimes like you'll get, I know you'll get localization trying to, trying their best to create a line that fits the same length, you know, cause like sometimes languages like German can be quite a bit longer, like the sentences of the words. And they'll really have to bend over backwards to create something that's like roughly the same length as the English line, whether that's a piece of dialogue on screen or, you know, an actual V-lobe line. I, I know that they they have to deal with trying to keep within certain parameters.
0: Hmm. Did you ever deal with any localization in terms of dialogue being translated with any games yeah. you worked on?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And most of them, I think, actually is... Um, you obviously, I'm not doing it myself, but I would like yeah, yeah. notes from the localization team, and it would usually be something along the lines of, like, what is this joke? Like, ex- can you explain this joke to <laughs> the German team so that they can create a joke that is similar in German? You know, so you have to like f- explain a joke, like, why is this funny in English, and how would you make it funny in German? Um, or yeah there were other little little instances where you were like reviewing i don't know something that they'd done and going oh actually that's like not what we meant at all um (laughs) so that wouldn't that didn't happen too often i think most of the localization teams are pretty dang good
0: that must inflate a budget quite a bit though if you're having to do a lot of translations right let's say you take a a telltale game, and it has to be translated in German and Japanese and French. and I mean, in the EU alone, there's
1: like so many languages, right? So, yeah, they used to call it efigs, English, French, Italian, German, and Spanish. Those are the big languages that it would be localized into. <clears throat> and um, yeah, it adds a bit, but the but the idea is then that you recoup that cost by selling. You know someone in France is buying the game in their own because they're like oh hey it's in French I I'll, I would like to play that so yeah there's a there's cost. do you play Japanese games
0: with the English dialogue or do you keep it on say the Japanese dialogue
1: oh gosh there was just one it's, um, it's not a Japanese game but it was Ghost of Tsushima which they released Ghost of Tsushima with like a Japanese soundtrack and I was like all in on that I'm like yes please Cause I love like the source material was those Kurosawa movies and like, I love Kurosawa and um, yeah, they don't do dubs of his films. So he watched it in Japanese with subtitles and I was like, yeah, I'm going to play Ghost of Tsushima with Japanese language and subtitles on. Mm.
0: Cause I find when Japanese games get translated in English, usually the the dialogue is a bit rough or the the voice acting's rough and it doesn't sound good compared to the Japanese dub. And I'm always wondering yeah. why that is. The, the translation is somehow, they, they're never able to get it right, it seems. doesn't matter what it I've is.
1: Heard, yeah, I've heard someone try to explain that. And they they were saying, and they were a Japanese speaker, and they were saying like, again, there are, there are things that you can say in Japanese in a certain way that just like sound silly when you say them in English. But like in Japanese, like there's a context for it. That makes it like oh okay i get like why this is the way it is almost like you know how cowboys talk in cowboy movies and like all right this town ain't big enough for the two of us you know (laughs) like nobody talks like that you know and if you try to translate that into god i have no idea what that would be like in like german how's it you know how are you going to convey that same feeling or the context around it they were kind of trying to make that point i'm like okay i sort of
0: get that yeah, I wonder what, say, with like the Final Fantasy games, right? Because they're heavy dialogue driven. And yeah, the translation must be a nightmare.
1: Yeah, yeah. I don't yeah. know how they do that. And sometimes you'll get one that I am um, like, that is sort of head and shoulders above the rest, you know? Like I'll see a Japanese game every once in a while it comes over and off like the dub, uh, not the dub, but like the translation is really good. And you just, you notice it. You're like, oh, okay, this is pretty good, actually. And it makes sense. And someone's taken some time to do this right.
0: Yeah. I mean, I haven't played, say, the Rockstar games in another language. So I don't even, because those games are so massive. I mean, GTA 6, for example, I <laughs> I don't even yeah, want to what comprehend. Yeah, yeah. How many voice actors will be involved on in oh the translation? God. Oh, yeah. yeah. Would you Would you ever want to work on something like that? like a big massive open world triple a game i mean i know you love red dead redemption 2 and i know you like gta as well
1: yeah absolutely that would be a blast i mean yeah probably overwhelming as well it probably would would be yeah. yeah 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 i mean those teams are so huge and those games take so long it would be kind of i think that would be a bit much but like being part of it oh that would be amazing
0: yeah well hey i will wrap up there but before we go we do have to give a little plug for your novel. Um, So why don't you tell everyone about it, where they can get it, what it's about.
1: All right. Yeah, so let's do a plug for the novel. Um, It's uh, something I've written and released earlier this year. It's called Gawain, A Year to Live. And it is a retelling of the Sir Gawain and the Green Knight uh, poem, which is from the 14th century, but I've updated it. And I took this the story and expanded on it a lot. And there's um, there's a, a twist to the character that's brand new that isn't in the poem. And it's something that I think people will find really interesting and thought provoking. Um, and plus, there's a lot of humor in there. If you like Terry Pratchett and Neil Gaiman, there's a lot of just like there's cheeky dragons with funny things to say. And there's not there's action and adventure knights fighting each other. Um, but there's also kind of thought provoking stuff. So grab it. It's on Amazon. Um, go out and get it. It's pretty cheap on Kindle and you can pick it up for like two bucks. Um, or get the paperback. Why I mean, not? Why not? <laughs> How long did it take you to write just out of curiosity? About two years. And there wow. was a, there was a, a draft of it that was fairly far along and I took it and threw it in the bin and I was like, we're starting over. Yeah. So, um, it was a, it's a passion project. It's a labor of love, but yeah, I think it it got a lot better when I did that. How far along were you when you threw it in the bin? Uh, I'd say about two thirds of the way through.
0: Wow. Okay. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. Power to you. Yeah. Well, but you know, but it came out. Yeah. It came out (laughs) right. Yeah. 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 So if
1: anyone wants to keep
0: up to date with what you're doing, uh, where can they follow you to do that?
1: I'm on Twitter, um, at Mr. Fox and, um, I think I have my link tree there, which has my Instagram as well. I think I'm also Mr. Fox on Instagram. Um, yeah, for all my my latest doings, whatever those may be.
0: Oh, I'm sure there's more to come.
1: Yeah. <laughs> the best of your career is still to come. Yes, I hope yes. so. Yes, I, I've just taken a new uh, position at a game studio called Probably Monsters, and we're going to be doing, I can't say much about it, but single-player narrative games. I'll just say that much.
0: Nice. That's yeah. vague enough to give people an idea, but <laughs> nothing else.
1: Yeah, that's all I can say.
0: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Cool. All right. Well, that is the show, everyone. Make sure you share, like, and subscribe. And until next time, stay safe.